Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series, Blast from the Past, a study through 1 Samuel. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. How's everybody again? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to wind up uh, the sermon series this week or today on uh, 1 Samuel, the whole book in a matter of 10 weeks. That was pretty fast, right? Um, God's taught us a lot of stuff. Uh, so we're going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to wrap it up for you in, in a way where we go back and look at some things. So if you brought your Bible today, praise God, but I'm going to go probably so fast that you won't be able to. So just take some notes if you want to know where they are, where the, the, uh, the, uh, the addresses as they taught me when I was little are all the scripture references. Um, but we're going to look at a lot of stuff today, but I want to start by just asking this question. How much have you thought about the legacy that you're going to leave? How much have you thought about what your life now is doing for the legacy that you're going to leave someday? You know, when I was young, I didn't think much about being 47. I'm 47. I know you can't tell. So cute. Boyish. But I didn't think about it. In fact, I thought I had all kinds of time. I think somebody once said, um, it's, it's pitiful, it's sad that youth is wasted on the young. Right? Amen. 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 You know, we don't think like that. We don't think about the future much when we're young. And even as we get older, like we're so consumed with what's going on today so many times. We're so consumed with what is, is, is going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow at the very latest this next weekend that we can't fathom what it's like at the end of our life. None of us want to think like that because it's the end of our life, but the truth is we all want to leave a great legacy, don't we? We all want to know, did we do that right? Have we said the right things? Did we do the right thing? Did we go to the right place? Did we, did we have an impact in the lives of people? Were we influencers for good and not evil? Was I selfish? I mean, all these questions just kind of roll in, but I, I think there are really two aspects that I see, I think about when I think about legacy for me that are completely opposite. The first one is this, what kind of legacy that I want to leave? I look at my life and I go, man, this is the kind of legacy, Bob, I want to leave right here. This is, this is the thing, man. This is what I want to tell my kids. This is the way I want to love my wife. This is what, this is what I want people to remember me by. Like I want some kind of boss thing written on my gravestone. But then I think about up to this point, the way it really is. You know, all of us have a past. 
Amen, just me and you. <laughs> Nobody else. We've all got a past. And I'm telling you, we can beat ourselves up over it. We can let the devil just have a good time. And we can, you know, justify all kinds of stuff if we want. And we can say, but listen, if God saved us and we're different people now, praise God. But listen, for those of us in the room who are believers, stop it. All right? Listen, you're forming, and not just those who, who fall across in this room, but every person on earth is putting together their legacy. Every person. We're all struggling. We're all wondering what's going on. But I'll tell you this, in my life, there have been two recent events in the last two or three years that have happened to me that have really made me think about my legacy. And it's, and it's when I dropped my kids off at college. My son, I flew out to help him move in and he dropped me off at the airport and, you know, I didn't want to let go and he was ready to get back to the dorm, you know. <laughs> and, I, 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 and I drove my daughter to the dorm and moved her in and then I drove away and, you know, both times that happened, I was a mess, you know, like uh, a 43-year-old, 44-year-old man, but acting like I was like five it was hard. And as I was driving away, I thought, man, what did I forget? Like, what did I not teach? What did I teach? You know, I wonder if they heard the part about, you know, that, that thing and, you know, those relationships. I, I wonder if they got that. And did I major on the minor things that are going to overshadow those things that really matter? I started thinking like that. Because that's my legacy. I mean, all of us can't decide how our kids turn out. We know that. But we have a great impact. We can. Don't let anybody fool you on that. Man, when I was thinking through what's that legacy look like, boy, there were some things that, you know, I, I had to come to grips with that I may have majored on some minor stuff and covered up the important things. But I hope that all of us, when we leave today, we get this sense as we close this book out and we look at two different lives that we're going to talk about, the life of Saul and the life of David, and, and, and just what kind of men they were, that we can glean some insight, if you will, into our own life. Because if Saul had known all these things that he was doing and, he was, and this, this treasure trove of just sin and, and disobedience and lack of character and, and, and dependence on self that he was building up, was going to tear him down, he probably would have done a little bit differently. So let's look. I'm, I'm, I'm only going to read just a few. I'm going to read 10 verses to begin with, and then I'm going to reference a lot, but you don't have to turn there uh, today. But 1 Samuel chapter 31, we're going to look at the... Now, this is the last book in the book of 1 Samuel. Excuse me, the last chapter in the book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to read these 10 verses, and I'm going to talk briefly about it, and it's going to set us up to look at just kind of compare and contrast these two men's lives. But let's look at the life of Saul at the very end of his life. You know, when you get to the end of most books, you, you just go, wow, it's about to get good. You know, this is where the, you know, the hero wins and, you know, the, the villain is mm, snuffed out, you know. Not in this book. <laughs> Things about to get ugly for this man. Look what happens. Verse 1. The Bible says, now the Philistines are fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. 
So they, listen, this was a common enemy. This happened a lot. This wasn't the first battle they'd ever been in, but here they began to lose big time. Verse 2, the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. The Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. In other words, all of his sons died that day. Not a good day. Gets worse, though. The battle went heavily, verse 3, against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by them, the archers. He wasn't dead, but he was wounded. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, because he knew this was going to be it, he said, draw your sword and pierce me through with it, otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. And I'm not going to give you details on exactly what the Philistines would have done. Other writers have told us, other uh, writers during this time period told us that what the Philistines used to do was just unbelievable. He said, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want them to make sport of me. In other words, I don't want them to do with my body whatever they wish while I'm still alive. And it was brutal. The Bible says, but his armor bearer wouldn't, for he was greatly afraid. Not Saul, but the armor bearer. The armor bearer was afraid to do it. He was not going to kill the king himself, even though the king commanded it. He said, I won't do it. So Saul took his own sword and he fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Thus Saul, excuse me, thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor bearer and all his men, on that day together. Man, what a slaughter. Not good. Verse 7, it gets worse. When those who were beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel who had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. So all the Israelites said, well, we're not dead, but we're not going to stick around to make sure we are. So we're leaving. The Bible says, then the Philistines came in and lived in them. It came about on the next day when the Philistines, this is verse 8, uh, came, to the, uh, strip, came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen there on Mount Gilboa. They cut off the, his head, Saul's head, and stripped off his weapons and sent them throughout the land of the Philistines. Now picture it, his head and the weapons going on tour. This is what they're doing. To carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. In other words, defeated. King is gone. We've got it. We're going to take the land. It's ours. Verse 10. They put his weapons in the temple of Ashtoreth, in this pagan temple. And they fastened his body, Saul's body, to the wall of Bethshan. So here's the picture. They all die. They cut off Saul's head. His headless body his head is taken around the area of the Philistines, wherever they lived, set in celebration. And they take his body, the king of Israel, and they fasten it to a wall. You know, that's not the legacy he probably thought he'd have. I got a feeling that's not the death he dreamed of, if you will. This isn't the way he thought it would end. I've got a sneaky suspicion that he didn't even think that, because, you know, what most people would say is that, that, well, this is just how it was going to be. Like, you're born for this, and then this happens, and then, you know, that. Like, this is the way it was supposed to be. Or is it possible that 
Saul himself had something to do with this. Listen, if you go through the book of 1 Samuel past, uh, starting in about chapter 13 and read through the end of the book of 1 Samuel, you will see over and over, and I'm going to show you plenty of examples here of how <clears throat> Saul struggled to follow God. If we look at the life of David, though, in respect, in contrast to that, we see a man that it didn't look like he struggled, at least yet. We see a man who was doing things opposite that Saul would be doing. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to just take you through that. But before we do, before I, I give you these three points that I have for you today, I want to give you today's lesson. This is a lesson as we look into the life of Saul and of David, and as if we look in the life of anybody who's in the scripture or even anybody in your life that you quote unquote look up to or that you mimic or that you have the target on their back and you look at what they do, you're part of their legacy. I want you to see your life as that person. What can you do today? So here's our lesson. The legacy you leave forever is term determined by the life you lead today. D did you hear that? The legacy that you will leave forever is determined by the life you lead today. In other words, the choices I make today will lead to the legacy I leave. What is it about human beings that we believe that in the end we'll just make it all right? We'll just get all of it together. We'll fix all the stuff. We'll make all the calls. What is it about us I want to give you a, a, a brief comparison of these two men for just a second. Because they were alike, some. Both are ordinary men. Now, when I say that, understand that what I mean is, is you're ordinary too. I know some of you think you're extraordinary, and I, I think that's fabulous. And, you know, I don't want to hurt your self-image. Amen, Brother Brian? We don't want to hurt people's feelings. You're awesome. But here's the deal. You're just ordinary. All of us. That's who we are. Only thing extraordinary about us is God. He's it. So I guess we're all extraordinary. Amen. But listen, these two guys were just normal, everyday guys. They grew up in the culture. They were Jewish guys. That's who they were. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were where they were supposed to be. These guys weren't just ordinary guys who were Jewish in heritage and culture but both of them were chosen to be the king. Did you know that neither one of them asked to be the king? They were going, hey, me. Not even Saul. Saul was hiding and they had to go grab him and drag him out. Give us a king. Give us a king. Ah. <laughs> you know, no. When they found David, he was in the field being a shepherd. Neither one of these guys asked to be king. Ordinary guys who were just Jewish guys who grew up in the culture, had the heritage. Neither one asked for it. But here's the irony. When they were given the opportunity, both of them could have been led by God. Both of them could have followed God. That sounds like us. Ordinary people who are just in the culture. We didn't ask for stuff, right? Like we weren't asked to be influencers over people in God's kingdom, were we? 
like God found us. And next thing you know, what? <laughs> woohoo, <laughs> you know? But here's the thing. Now we get to choose if we want to be led by him and follow him. Amen. Unless you think you don't, you're choosing right now. Not being here, but in your mind. What you choose to do and say and where you choose to go and how you choose to honor him. We just sang a song that talked about even the breath that he gives us, we give him back. Isn't that amazing? At the very breath he gives us, we give back to him in praise. So that means that everything else in life that he gives us too, we give back to him. God wants relationship with us. But we have a part in it. And I want us to see that today. So that's just a brief comparison. But there's a world of contrast. And this is where we're going to end up today with these three, in these three points. The first point is this. The first contrast. Obedience versus disobedience. David was an obedient man. Up to this point, up to the end of 1 Samuel, what we see about David is incredible. Isn't it? Like almost everything you read about him, you're like, man, what a dude. Like, wow, this guy was on it. He was obedient to God. Listen, when Saul, his king, would tell him something to do, when he would say go, you know what David's answer was? I'm out. I'm gone. Not leaving you. I'm going where you tell me to go. I'm doing what you tell me to do. The Bible says in chapter 18, David went out wherever Saul sent him. And then it adds this. And behaved wisely. He didn't just submit to the king, though. He submitted to his own dad. When his dad said, son, here's what I want you to do. Watch the sheep. You know what David did? He watched the sheep. Later on, when his dad said, hey, son, I want you to take some food to your brothers who are up at the front line battling the Philistines. You know what he did? He got some food and he went to the front lines. It was like whatever he was asked to do, he did it. When God said, be the king, you know what he did? He did it. David was obedient, but Saul, on the other hand, he was disobedient. A couple of times especially, these, these words are poignant and they're very direct. God said, here's what I want you to do, Saul. I know submission's hard for you, but here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. You shall go down before me at Gilgal. This is in chapter 10, verse 9. And I will come down. Samuel's telling him this. I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. I will offer them. I'll come down and I'll offer them. Here's what he said. You shall wait seven days. How specific is that? And how awesome. Like seven days. And he's like, okay, this is Monday, so next Monday. So, you know, so I'm thinking Monday, Monday. So he's going to come down and he's going to offer the sacrifices. Do you know what happened? The Bible says that's not what Saul did. In verse 8 of chapter 13, three chapters later, listen to this. Here's the end of the story. Now Saul waited seven days, and everybody's like this. See, what a good guy. See, he's listening. He's obedient. He waited seven days. But go on. It says, according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal at that moment, and the people were scattering from Saul. So Saul said this, bring to me the burnt, uh, the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now remember, Samuel said this, in seven days I'll be there. And when I get there, I'm going to do the sacrifices and the offerings. And, and, and uh, Saul's like this. Right? Yes, sir. Got it. You know what happens? He goes down there. Seven days later, nobody showed up. Things start to get a little shaky, a little dicey. And you know what Saul does? 
he's not coming. He's not coming. And the people are getting nervous. This is not good. We haven't offered anything yet. Oh, I'll become the priest. It was clear. Samuel said, wait till I get there. You see what happened? He didn't do it on the third day, the fourth day, the sixth day. He waited to the seventh day. Man, I love that obedience, right? But that was only partial. The next thing you know is, yeah, he waited seven. The problem was is he became the priest, and he was asked not to. Chapter 15, same thing happens. Uh, the, the same principle happens, but a, a different story. The Bible says that uh, Samuel said to Saul, go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and don't spare him. But put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Here's what that means. Everything. That means everything. People say, you know, I got a problem with that. Well, tell God. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's right here. Well, I don't like God because he said that. Well, here's what I want to tell you just as a little offshoot. We don't know the whole story. In fact, we know a little bit of the story. And the story was the Amalekites never listened to God. And for years fought against God on so, in so many battles, in so many levels. And God said, enough's enough. Saul, go take care of it. You know what Saul did? You know what he did? That's not what he did. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell us that in that same book, uh, ch chapter, chapter 15, that he spared the king. And he kept some of the animals that he was supposed to also slaughter for sacrificing. You know what God said? No. I said utterly destroy. I said everything. And you did partial. Isn't that amazing? A lot of times we'll do what God says up to a point and then we'll, let, then we'll do the rest on our own. You know the difference between David and Saul? David did what God said. Saul did exactly what Saul wanted to do. You know what Saul was? Religious. Listen, I'm not casting stones at Saul. Stones at Saul. I'm religious sometimes. I'm just telling you, when I look at these two guys' lives, and I see that one guy is seeking God, and, and by the way, we just heard last week, while David sought God, Saul found himself at a medium. The differences are horrendous. You see, when it comes to obedience, partial obedience is total obedience. Excuse, disobedience. I did it again. Partial obedience is total disobedience. The difference between one and the two, one was complete and one was partial. The second thing I want you to see that we, that we learn all throughout the book of 1 Samuel is the character. The character issue. Character versus lack of character. David was a man of character. And by character, I mean moral qualities distinctive to every person. It's kind of a, a, a moral Christian standard of what character is. David was a man of integrity. Instead of cutting Saul's robe or killing Saul when he had the chance, David didn't. He could have, but he chose not to. Why? Because he's a man of integrity. He was not going to do what God was going to take care of. It was God's job, not his. He was a man of humility. He put other people first. Again, not killing Saul. When he talked to Goliath, he even said, he said these words, and they're so easy just to run past. Listen, he said, 
Goliath, I got news for you. God is going to deliver you into our hands. Not my hands, ours. You know, a man of humility doesn't just share the limelight. He's not even in it. David himself would take back seat. He learned how to do that as a shepherd. When being chased, he wouldn't retaliate. He didn't kill him in the cave. He didn't kill him when he was laying there. After being chosen king, he stayed being a shepherd. I wonder what I would have done if they told me I was going to be king. What would you have done had, if they tell you your future? You swell up with pride and become somebody you're not, or do you go back to waiting tables and being a pastor and the shepherd, and a shepherd in the field as a pastor? I wonder what we do. A man of humility like David was. Humility was probably Jesus' most evident trait. And David was exhibiting that. He wasn't just a man of integrity and humility. He was also a man of courage. I mean, we see that when he fought the lion and the bear. I don't know how many of you ever fought a lion and a bear. Please stand up. I'm just, that's what I thought. I, <clears throat> he was a courageous man. When he fought the lion and the bear and came against Goliath, Goliath was nothing compared to that. People say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a risk taker, Tom. You know, I'm one of those risky people. I'm, listen, I'm not talking about risky. I'm talking about courageous. I didn't ride a roller coaster when I was a senior in high school. Then I acted like I was five when I was on it. I'm not into risk. I'm not jumping out of a plane ever. David wasn't risky. He was courageous. You know, back where I'm from, There's a saying that kind of goes like this. You know what the last thing a redneck, most rednecks say is, don't you? Watch this. <laughs> hey, watch this. And then they die. I'm not talking about risk. Cour courage. Somebody who is courageous, not risky. In fact, Lance Witt says it like this. He says, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment. Listen to this, that something else is more important than fear. The deeper my intimacy with God, the greater my tenacity to stand courageously. Abiding in the vine not only produces fruit, it makes us strong and courageous. Listen, when you abide in the vine, you're not just producing fruit. You're strong. You're courageous, not risky, not fearful, courageous. While David was a man with great character, Saul was a man who lacked character. He had very low integrity. I mean, he would lie to himself at times and then believe the lie that he said. That's low integrity. He tried to kill David multiple times. I don't know if you think that's integrity or not, but I don't go around trying to kill people. How about you? Chasing him all over the place in the desert. He pinned him against the wall while he was playing the harp at one point. Integrity in the life of a believer is essential, and no integrity is likely proof of no relationship. He didn't have any integrity. The, the, the second thing I noticed is he was a fearful man. Unlike David being courageous, this guy was fearful. I mean, multiple times in, in, in chapter 15, he says, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Chapter 17, he, the, the, the Bible tells us when Saul and all Israel heard the word of Goliath, they were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. Listen, 
when you aren't connected to the vine like we just talked about, when there's no relationship, when there's no trust in God, you become a person, no integrity. You become a person who's very fearful, full of pride, very arrogant. You know why? Because that's all we got as human beings. The thing that makes David who he is with humility and integrity and courage is not him, it's God. The thing that makes Saul what he is is the natural human that all of us are, that he is, that he was, and that we are. You see the difference? Character's not what I do, it's who I am. When nobody else is around. Listen, who you are is who you are, whether you're with people or not. It's just that most of the time, we only know us when nobody else is around. Because as humans, we are fearful of people. We are men pleasers. David wasn't. David had the opportunity to take the kingship early and refused it because of his character. The last thing that I see in this, this book, just scanning through it. In fact, I sat down, I wrote down all the things that I saw different and that's and compiled them all to even get this lesson. The third thing is dependence on God versus dependence on self. David was a man dependent on God. Every moment he lived, he knew he needed God. I mean, you see that all throughout the book of 1 Samuel. From the time that he's being chased, his friendship with Jonathan, even before he was king, sitting in the house of Saul, running from him there. You see it. When he goes before he, he, he uh, it, actually what puts him in the king's house was, was the whole uh, mission with Goliath, if you will. You see, David was a man who was dependent on God's power. When it came to Goliath, he knew. I, I mean, I don't know how many nine feet guys you've ever seen. But if I come up on a guy who's 6'5", I'm a little, t- you know, intimidated. Nine feet? His sword weighed more than half my body? That's a lot. I mean, this little teenage boy isn't scared whatsoever. No, no. He wasn't dependent on himself. He was dependent on God's power. He was also dependent on God's perspective. Do you know the words that outline kind of David's life? He was a man after God's own heart. You know what that means? He wanted to know what God wanted. He wanted to know what God wanted. He wanted God's power. He wanted God's perspective, but he also wanted God's knowledge. He wanted to know what the things of God were. He wanted to know. Listen, he goes to God and asks him, what should I do? And God tells him what to do. He knew he needed his power, his perspective, his knowledge. But Saul was dependent on self. In chapter 18, the Bible shows us his pride, that he was arrogant in his thinking, that he coveted when someone else got an accolade. They began to sing, David, excuse me, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul became very jealous, very jealous and covetous of what he didn't have is full of pride. He was also a self-sufficient man. He thought everything depended on him. Everything depended on him. Man, I got to be the priest. I got I to make sure these sacrifices get taken care of, right? I got to run the army. So, hey, fellas, don't eat anything. We're going to be, you know, out in the, you know, battle for hours, maybe days. But don't eat anything. You'll be all right. I mean, I usually have to stop on the way home. Get something to eat. I can't imagine you know, days. 
You know, when you're in charge and you believe you got to handle it and you don't ask God what he wants, I promise you, most of the time, you won't do it correctly. Why, God, have you put me here? Why are these people here? What is the, the reason that you want us to do what we're doing instead of taking things into your own hands and doing whatever you want to do? He was self-sufficient. He didn't depend on God. Irony is, is whether we know it or not, all of us are dependent on God. Amen? I'm telling you from, my, from every, it's a blessing every time my heart beats because I haven't done it once. Every time the air goes in my nostrils and down to my lungs and how all that happens with the oxygen taken in and the carbon dioxide coming out and all that, God help us. I haven't done that one time. To the food that gets on my table, to the money that goes into my bank account, to the health that I'm given, everything I have is dependent on him. You know, those words in Scripture that describe David best, the man after God's own heart. As good as that is, do you know what the words that describe Paul, excuse me, Saul are in that same book, 1 Samuel? In fact, Saul said it about himself. Do you know what the words were? I've played the fool. When it came to the end of his life, when he looked at how he was treating David, and we look, when he began to peer back into his obedience and his character and his dependence or lack of dependence on God, the thing that he said about himself is kind of an autobiography in short. In one little short phrase, in one little short sentence was, I've played the fool. Jay Sidley Baxter, Sidlow Baxter says this about what it looks like when a man plays the fool. He said, when a man plays the fool, he acts without God's direction. He said, when a man plays the fool, he disobeys God in the details. He puts a spiritual spin on his disobedience. He persuades himself that he's doing the will of God. He allows jealousy and hatred to master him, and he knowingly fights against God. But when a man loves God, listen, I started by saying this. They were ordinary. These are regular guys. Regular guys who are going to choose to either follow God and obey him or not. And what made the difference in their life? You say, Tom, how in the world? Just tell me, how can I live a life of obedience? How can I live a life of character? How do I live a, a, a life of dependence on God? Well, there's really only one way, and it's this truth I want to show you. To live a life of obedience, character, and dependence, I must daily allow Jesus' life in me to be lived through me. See, you know what the difference was between Saul and David? We mentioned it briefly a minute ago, being connected to that vine. It's the John 15. If you've been here at Hope Long, you've heard these things. If you haven't, you will. It's Jesus' life in us and through us, and that's it. The thing that made the difference in David's life was God lived his life as David allowed him to through his life. You see, David wasn't really a compassionate guy. He wasn't humble and he didn't have integrity on his own. No, no, no. This was God doing it through him. As God released himself through it. And listen, as simple as it is, we miss it. And do you know why Saul was so messed up and wrong? And, and we read chapter 31, it just looks like a total disaster. Do you know why? 
Because instead of asking God, he asked a medium. Because instead of having character, he had no character. He was jealous. He was self-dependent. When God said do something, even though he knew, he didn't. And listen, we are no different than Saul. When God says, here's the deal, that's the deal. And listen, I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying, if we want to leave a legacy, we've already begun doing it now. The grace part, though, is it's not too late. God, whoo, he can give back the years the locusts have eaten. He can restore it. He will replenish it. He will start it brand new. But here's the deal. Not as long, you, as, long as you want to still handle it yourself. Now, all of us in the, in the audience today are, have a decision to make. There's, there's kind of something I want us to do individually, not together necessarily. That'd be a little odd. But I do want you to think, okay, about yourself, not about how somebody else needs to hear this or my uncle or my cousin or my husband or my wife or my son. No, just us, just you individually. You're going to fall in one of three categories when I ask this next question. And the question is this. Are you more like Saul or David? Some of us would say, some people would say, I'm like David. I, I, I strive for obedience. I strive for God to live that character through me. I strive to be dependent on God. And then some of us would say today, you know what? I don't strive for any of that. In fact, I'm handling my life on my own. I'm not even sure there is a God, and so I'm not going to be obedient to something I don't even know exists. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not really a person of character either. So I'm more like Saul. But then some of us in the room, I told you there were three categories, I think. The third one is, I want to be like David. I just don't feel like I am. And that's probably most of us. So here's what I want you to do. We're about to have a time of invitation where we ask you to make a decision. Whatever God's spoken to you about. Even there in your seat, the altar will be open. You can pray if you'd like. Pastors will be here. We'll pray with you. But we don't want you to walk out the door the same person you came in when God convicts you of something or shows you something about your life. I don't have to know. That's not why I'm doing this. But I want you and God to know. If you're a person like David, here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to thank him. And just say, Lord, it's all you and, no, and not me at all. And I want you, God... To give me the desire to keep on keeping on. Praise God. But it's not about me. If you're like Saul, maybe today you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe the reason is, is not because the Christian life's hard or difficult. It's because the Christian life's impossible. And unless you're connected to the vine, there is no Christian life. So maybe today you need to connect with God and you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in him. And those aren't just words that Christians say. That's what saves us, our faith in him and belief that his death was sufficient penalty for my sin. But if you're like most of us in the room, maybe you're a striver for David, but you find yourself being like Saul more than you want to be. Maybe the altar's a great place for you. 
Maybe your small group leader's here and you'd like to pray with them. Or maybe some other leader or some mentor you have is here in the room and you'd like to ask them to pray. Or maybe, maybe you'd like to pray with a pastor. I don't, I, you don't need me to pray for you. I, I've got the same red line you got. But we'll help you. Just don't walk out the door and let the devil snatch what God has planted in your life. So which one, David or Saul? Maybe a little of both. The difference is not ordinary men who were called or who were asked to be king. Not, not ordinary men who were living in the culture and asked to be king, but ordinary men who decided they would follow and listen to God. The legacy that you leave forever. It really starts with the life that you're leading today. Today. 